Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you as we're starting fresh on this Monday, the 4th of May. And we are excited about the things that God has for us this week. We want to just let you know that we're so grateful for uh, the listeners, those of you that are tuning in, that have been tuning in, and you really uh, bless us. We thank God for the testimonies that we are hearing of the things that God is doing. And so without further ado, we are excited about the Word of God this week, and it's always good to be with the panel, Brother Fernando and Brother Marty. Good to be with you, my brothers, on this fresh week, and we're looking forward to what God has for us. So, Brother Marty, I will leave it with you at this moment, and let us begin the study of the Word of God. Well, we're excited again to join you all for another week, and uh, we had fully intended to to conclude our series on the armor of light, which we left off on Friday. Um, we will get back to it soon. And when we do, we'll, we'll just identify it as part three. But over the weekend, the spirit of God began to, to pour into our hearts uh, a word, we believe, from the Lord as to the times and the seasons that we find ourselves in now. Here in the United States, we've begun to, and really around the world in certain parts, uh, we've been under a global lockdown as a result of this this pandemic that has swept across the world. And our focus uh, in relation to that has been on the United States and really in reflecting um, specifically uh, how it affects and how it has affected uh, the so-called evangelical community, the churches, in the United States and across the West. And and now that we're being uh, systematically let out uh, as they're beginning to release the restrictions of, uh, of people being quarantined in their houses, it means that we're going to see the, the church emerge again. Uh, and what's very interesting is, as you all know, we've discussed this at length, but what we saw and what we have seen to this point uh, as the response from the leadership uh, in in the so-called uh, Pentecostal and charismatic movements across this country uh, in the midst of the coronavirus. What's interesting to me is not one single one of them who claim to be prophets uh, called this out at the beginning of the year. As a matter of fact, it was all the opposite. It was going to be the year of 2020 of perfect vision, of, of double blessing, and, you know, the same old stuff they give you every year. Uh, but they sat there silent and dumbfounded when this actually broke out. And then they end up, you know, acting like dummies and, and showing themselves for the false prophets they really are and and begin to uh, decree and, and speak and do all this other stuff they've done over the last 12 weeks um, to no avail. And what's really tragic to me is that those who follow them know darn well that all their words have fallen to the ground. And none of them right. have come to pass, right? And yet, they're still going to go back, fill up their churches, and send them their offerings, buy their books, go to their conferences. But what we believe is going to happen is, is that it's not going to return as, as business as usual. See, contrary to, to what true prophets are like, which is what we're going to look at today, uh, we believe that God has begun to reveal to us a particular word. And we're going to do that by examining two particular time uh, time uh, periods of history uh, in the days of Israel 
in order to to take the 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 metaphor of it and we believe also the prophetic pattern of it and reveal what we believe the Lord is saying right now in our time. And so with that in mind, uh if you have your Bibles today, we welcome you and we we hope that you'll open them please to the uh the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to read a portion of scripture there, but we're really going to spend most of our time uh starting at the first chapter. <clears throat> but we need to lay this groundwork because this is where we're headed and this is where we're coming to probably tomorrow. So uh, the Lord willing, we'll see what happens. Um, if I would call this anything, it would be the rise of Samuel and the return of the Lord. Or better, we could say, go and smite Amalek, which is taken from the scripture that I'm about to read to you. In First Samuel chapter 15, beginning with the first verse, Samuel's recording what he is given as far as a command by God to go and speak to King Saul. And he tells him this, he says, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, that is the command that God gave to to King Saul. And as we get into this in the coming days, what we're going to see is that Saul and the congregation of Israel failed to obey that command. They only partially fulfilled the command. And as a result, the kingdom and the anointing would be stripped from Saul. And a whole series of events would then begin to transpire that would ultimately lead to the anointing of King David, who is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we get into this this week, I believe what we're going to see is the parallels are, the prophetic parallels are incredibly striking. And, and we're going to see where we are, we believe by the Spirit and for the glory of the Lord, that the same pattern is unfolding itself in the Christian West and specifically in the United States. And what we are going to see we quite possibly believe is that the time clock has already begun ticking and we're, we've entered into a different place, if you will, prophetically speaking. Uh, and we are going to see the same parallels, if you will, and the patterns uh, that could very well be indicating to us that something is changing. Business is not as usual. And what's actually coming just ahead of us will culminate with the anointing of the king, so to speak, the return of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Samuel was the prophet fully grown who gave this commandment to Saul. But in order to really understand what brings us to this point, we have to understand that that uh, there, there, are, there were certain aspects that caused Samuel to become a prophet to begin with, and it goes all the way back. Because during the, the ministry of the prophet Samuel, we see two things, and we were discussing this off air. Samuel would witness the removing of the presence of God from two distinct time periods of history. One would be when the tabernacle or, or, or a, a foreshadow of the temple that was to come was located in the territory of Shiloh, which was controlled by Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim which was the tribe that came from Joseph. And it was there that this structure would be erected. And it was from there that Samuel would arise 
and ultimately see the destruction of the house of the high priest Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. You know, I believe we have entered the end times, but and there's so many things that we could focus on, but we will focus on that, I think, which pertains to the to the leadership and and the church in our time. And we're going to see the patterns um, play out in Samuel's life because a transition of authority, I believe, and the true presence of the Lord has already taken place. And it will become an increasingly obvious thing in the not too many distant days ahead. I believe the Lord is, you know, I really do believe that. And I really do believe the Lord is speaking uh, to us uh, with that in mind, to return to these times of Samuel, Saul, and King David, because they are prophetic foreshadows of the end time. And, And even though the historical truth of their existence is recorded in the Scripture, as we pointed out over these last many weeks, it is a principle of Scripture that we're to take and look uh, with a prophetic lens and apply it to the to the different historical accounts in order to glean information that will be keys to understanding the times and the seasons that any generation finds itself in. So we we want to return to the time of Samuel, Saul, and King David to see a prophetic pattern, I believe, that's emerged in our times again and, and will bring us. Uh, to what we will see in the next few days, we believe the the return of the Lord is imminent. So over the next uh, over the next few podcasts, by the will of God's grace, we're going to see in Samuel, Saul, and King David. It is the same prophetic pattern, I believe, that is uh, that will shall be fulfilled in our time. But first, we have to look at the call of Samuel, so that we can truly understand what we're seeing now as it relates to the word we're about to reveal to you. In many ways, like we were talking off air, uh, our brothers, when we were discussing what we were going to talk about today, Samuel, to me, is a prophetic foreshadow in many ways of, of, of the John the Baptist that would come. And the reason that we say that is right. because Samuel, uh, a prophet, anoints King David, right? And we know that David is a type of Christ. As a matter of fact, the book of Matthew begins, Jesus Christ, son of David, right? Son of Abraham. So Samuel, sure. by anointing David, is a is a prophetic picture of what would come in the future when John the Baptist would anoint the Lord Jesus or, or baptize him, so to speak, and there identify him as the son of the living God. One of the important things that we need to realize, brothers, I think, is is we need to focus on the fact that Samuel is, is a, was a generation that was born at a specific time. He was born at a specific time, and it relates to our time because I believe the same is emerging now, that a generation has already been born. And we're going to see as we go forward in these scriptures that it is a generation that has grown up under a system and and has has known the Lord within the confines of a a religious establishment that has, has, has... by and large, corrupted itself. And for a time, Samuel has been familiar with serving within the confines of that religious establishment until one day when God breaks into his life and speaks to him in order to draw him out from underneath the covering of that system and establish him as a vital and key component that ultimately will lead to the declaration of of a king 
that is coming as he would do in, to the house of Saul. So he was literally born at a specific time and, and would witness the transition of God's presence from two distinct houses, two distinct moves of God, one from the established priesthood of Eli's house and one from the established kingship of Saul's house. And and now, let, you know, Brother Jeremy, can you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 1? Yes. Because in order... In order to paint this picture accurately and understand what we're talking about, the parallels are striking. We need to uh, to begin to see how Samuel actually came on the scene and what the conditions were. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 1, are you there, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Yes, Brother. Can you, can you read to us, uh, uh, I think it's uh, beginning with the third verse. Read the third and the fourth verse to us. Sure. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And okay, when that's, the time... good. That's, that's good. That's, that's, the, that's the one thing I wanted to read. I wasn't sure if it was three or four. So before Samuel is born, in the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, verse 3, as Brother Jeremy was, was reading there, the first thing God does is he draws our attention to the leadership that's controlling God's house. And he mentions three distinct individuals. One is Eli, one is Hophnius, and, and, and one is Phinehas. And it's very interesting because remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about prophetic parallels. And I'm just going to state this right now. I believe what we have seen, and remember we're talking about uh, the, the Christian West, so to speak, but specifically the United States, because it has been the one, and from here has gone the gospel throughout the whole world, throughout the 20th century, right? right? I mean, that that so the parallels is what we're trying to apply here. And and when we when God draws our attention to the fact that that the place of worship is in Shiloh, he's he unless you know your history, you don't realize that we once we pick up this story Shiloh has been established and 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 the place and the presence of of God has been established where the temple was in the to begin with in Shiloh was originally established by Joshua Joshua was of the tribe of Ephraim and Joshua when he came into the promised land when he delegated Ephraim uh Ephraim's portion of the promised land the tribe of Ephraim Shiloh became the capital city of the then ancient Israel, and there they built the original temple. There they brought the Ark of the Covenant and, and set up the tabernacle of Moses, which was in the wilderness, right there in Shiloh, and then built an entire structure around it where they actually had like a big church house, right? So, um, so it had been there almost 430 years, maybe give or take a few years. Uh, it had been almost 400 years since it had been there. And over the course of, of, of a few centuries, it grew into a very powerful religious establishment. It was the central focus of the whole nation, whose ancestors 400 years later had crossed the River Jordan and began to take the promised land. And so when God speaks in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4, he immediately draws our attention to where his, his temple is or his tabernacle and who's in control after hundreds of years. And the names that are used, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, 
are very reflective of the same kind of ministry that was actually in power. God draws our attention there in, in chapter 1, verse 3, to Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. Now, Eli was the elder. He was the high priest. And it's interesting what his name means because it's very reflective of where the ministry had come to in their time. Now, remember, Samuel hasn't been born yet. The system's well entrenched, but he's going to be. And that's why God draws his, our attention to the past in, as far as this story goes and, 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 and says there were three guys there, Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. Now, the name Eli is very, very uh, revealing because his name means uh, one who ascends or ascension or to lift oneself up. It's really reflective, much like today, of an arrogant hierarchy, right? I mean, it, 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 uh, it, 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 and it, and what he produced, understand, were mm -hmm. two sons. And what he produced was Hophni and Phineas. And their names are incredibly revealing because Hophni, his name literally means a pugilist, which is a fancy word for for an aggressive fighter, right? And, and it also means, right, a boxer. It means to be double-fisted. In other words, mm. it speaks of an aggressive, lustful sort of nature. And as we get into this, we'll see even more reflective of their ministry. It was an, It was a ministry of lust. It was a ministry of greed, double-fisted, and aggression. And and I want Brother Fernando, if you can remember, when we get to this point, uh, I'm going to ask you to share, because I, I started talking to you on, about this word almost two-plus two years ago, and I shared it with you. It was like the first thing I shared with you after we hadn't talked for a long time, and, and I was talking to you about how the presence of God was systematically removing itself from Shiloh. And when we got to the part of the altar, um, you mentioned something really profound, and I'll remind you of it if you don't remember, but you said something really cool because it adds to what we're talking about. So Eli, um, the ascension of Eli uh, morphed into a ministry that lifted up and projected itself. That's what his name means. And, and what that kind of ministry did was produce two sons. Uh, an arrogant, proud ministry produced two kinds of ministries underneath it. One is a double-fisted pugilist, very aggressive, of the nature of lust and greed, and Phineas, whose whose name literally means the mouth of the serpent, <laughs> which right. is just intense, right? Yeah. <laughs> which represents to me, as it pertains to our modern day, he's a beguiler, right? The serpent was a beguiler. And when you get into the roots, I mean, it, it really points back to the devil himself, uh, but he's a beguiler. And, and and he practices divination. That's what that word Phineas also means, the practice of divination. And and that reminds me a lot of the false prophets because that's really what they do. They practice right. divination, right? right? They, they decree, they speak, they, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're divining. They're not prophesying. And so what's interesting is that Eli representing a, a, a ministry uh, that, that as it reaches its apex has has within his name the meaning of, of of such a pride such an arrogance one who lifts themselves up and it is in many senses what happened coming out of the azusa street revival in 1906 right it started really humble but as it began to spread through the united states 
and 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 the and the Pentecostal and charismatic movements really came out of it. They began to organize and they began to structure themselves, and a and a ruling elite began to emerge out of it. Uh, the elders of those moves, really, as we came into this the late 70s, early 80s, had reached a point where they were now magnifying themselves, magnifying their ministries. They had ascended to a particular height. And all that flowed out of that in the late 80s, uh, 70s into the late 80s, produced a, a greedy, lustful, uh, false, if you will, uh, system of, of leadership. And, and, and it was the same back in Samuel's day. That's the kind of leadership that emerged. Anybody have any comments so far? No, that's good. All right, hey, brother. So, uh, brother, yes, I, I just did, you were talking about the uh, the um, the times that they were living in. One of the things that always stands out because I see the Book of Judges as a precursor, right, to the Book of Samuel. It's always yeah. the way the the Book of Judges, the the very last verse that we read in the Book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this gives us Anarchy. a little insight of, yes, of, mm -hmm. yeah, of the condition of the people. Everybody was doing what was right on their, in their own eyes. Yeah. And that, that talks a, a, lot, a little bit about the atmosphere that they were in and the, the, uh, the, the necessity. There was no voice. There was no prophetic voice in that time. Right. And, 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 well, I'll and, throw this in. I'll throw this in. Uh, uh, we see in the Bible that Samuel serves as a forerunner uh, to David, very much like uh, John the Baptist did to Jesus in his day. Also, uh, leading up to the days of Samuel, um, we have the book of Judges, as Pastor Jeremy said, that everybody did was seem right in their own eyes. Um, and that, that period parallel or, or, or foreshadow of the 400 years of silence from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew. Um, so we see that the days of Samuel leading up to the days of David is a picture of what will take place at the end of time. Uh, we know that David fought Goliath, and that's a prophetic picture of the end time generation where uh, Jesus will uh, make war or fight against the Antichrist in the battle of Armageddon. Um, so you know, in the days of Samuel, uh, we find the rise of this ministry, the ministry of Eli, which has corrupted itself with his, with his two uh, sons. So we have a picture of this uh, fallen ministry, and uh, we can find a lot of connections as it relates to us today. And, and we are seeing the very same thing spiritually, if we have eyes to see, taking place in our day. And uh, what the uh, the ministry of Eli gave uh, uh, room to is the rise of this Saul church that is uh, up and rising as we speak. So uh, pay close attention to the uh, prophetic connections that we find in the days of Samuel. Yeah, that's good, and 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 uh, and that's exactly where we're headed. And, and so, uh, as you were pointing out, Brother Jeremy. Uh, that's right. Everybody was doing whatever was right in their own sight. And and I like what Brother Fernando just said there, because I, I had never really considered that, but that's a really good parallel. 
that there was about a 400-year period in between uh, the time of the Book of Samuel. So what we see uh, is the same paralleling the, the close of, of the Old Testament into the New. There was a 400-year period. And Samuel, uh, being a foreshadow of, of John the Baptist, in that Samuel anoints King David, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, the symbolism is all there. And it might be new to some of you that are listening, but but it's a prophetic principle when you go to the book of Revelation and you see where he says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the Bible testifies only and exclusively of the Lord. So one of the great spiritual exercises and truths that you can do is that wherever you read in the scripture, search for Christ because he's there. Now, moving yes. along. So go ahead. I don't know. I'm agreeing. I'm saying yes. You can find oh, Jesus okay. in every part of the scripture. I'm saying amen. Every part yes. of the scripture. So we, we briefly discussed the, how the Lord first draws our attention to the leadership of the house of that day. And, and again, remember, what we're talking about here is Samuel comes along at a time which is very unique because you see a full-fledged ministry and, and then you see it reach its zenith or its height. And it will ultimately be destroyed and brought down and humbled to the point where uh, it is said that the glory would depart, right? But then several right. years later, uh, there's a rise of a new move, if you will, represented by King Saul. And that's where we're headed. So listen, uh, the question we have to ask is, have we seen anything like that in our time? Have we seen the apex of a ministry rise only to see it fall? An interim period when it's kind of like it, it, almost in a in, in a limbo, and then it reemerges and becomes worse than it ever was. Well, that's where we're headed. Now listen. So after drawing our attention to the characteristic of the ministry at the beginning, Eli, Hophni, and Phineas, he then in verse five and six. Can you read verse five and six, uh, uh, Jeremy? Yes, from First uh, Samuel. It says, yes. but unto but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Yes. So after revealing the leadership, the Lord then draws our attention uh, by the Holy Spirit to a woman. And named Hannah, and she, we know that she's going on. To, she she will become the mother of, of Samuel, and her womb was shut because, and and the Lord emphasizes that twice in verse five and verse six. It says, "But it was the Lord who shut up her womb." At the end of verse six, he says the same thing. It was the Lord that shut up her womb. And whenever you see something like that that close in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is really emphasizing something because there's something to be gleaned. And what we can learn yes. from that is that is that her womb was shut because her child was to be uh, uh, time specific. You know, he had to be born time specific, and 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 right. a lot like then, I believe it is now that the Lord uh, withheld the birth of a Samuel type leadership until the compromise of of, of the system of that time had reached its fullness. Now, what the Lord chooses to do now is, is to reveal the conditions or the fruit 
of the leadership that necessitated the birth of a Samuel, because Samuel would indeed be born. You know, Hannah would cry out, God would open her womb, Samuel would be born and then be given to the system. In other words, Samuel was born up under this system, and his mother would give him to the system, and he would come under the the education of Eli, and he would grow up in the system in Shiloh, in the religious system. But the Lord begins to draw our our attention to the fruit of that leadership at that time. And, and let's take a look at that. Brother Jeremy, would you read uh, chapter 2, verse 17 for me? Yes. And it says, Wherefore the sin, here we go, wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So again, in verse 17, the Lord's drawing our attention uh, to uh, what Eli had produced and what the fruit of the ministry of Eli's sons really was. They had become so greedy that that what the Lord says here is that men hated giving to the house of God. <laughs> this sounds right. like today, if you ask wow. me. <laughs> right? Despise. Right. Right? It says they abhorred the the uh the sin. I mean they abhorred the offering of the Lord. This is where I was gonna talk to you, Brother Fernando. I don't know if you remember this, but in Brother Jeremy, could you read us verse uh, fourteen and fifteen? Yes. It says, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh had brought up, the priest took for himself. So they okay, did wait. in Shiloh. Brother Jeremy, wait. Uh, I'm sorry. Start at verse 12 and, and keep going. Verse 12? Okay. Yeah. So verse 12 to, to verse 15 or 16? Uh, to, okay. to verse 16. Okay. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came there. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as they, thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. And because of this, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, because men abhorred the offering of the Lord. As Brother Jeremy read in verse 12, uh, 12 there, it's interesting because it says of Eli's sons, who were supposed to be the preachers, that they didn't even know the Lord. They did right. not know the Lord. And and yet they're 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 in the ruling class of the system, right? They're they're in the most prominent position of the ministry, and right. and yet it it is a statement of 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 the condition of just how far they had become a religious institution, but completely devoid 
of godly leadership. They knew not the Lord. And Brother Fernando, what you pointed out to me a couple of years ago was, as we were talking about this, where where what, what Brother Jeremy just read was all of these offerings that they were stealing from, they're all symbolic of of the cross, you know, the gospel. And in verse yes. 16, where it talks about, uh, you know, the burning of the fat, that was supposed to be offered on the brazen altar to God himself. The most savory part of the offering belonged to God. But the priests were coming right at the point of what is very symbolic of, of repentance and salvation and using it as an occasion to take from the, the, the one who came in humility uh, to, to offer to his God. And and do you remember sharing that with me about when you talked about stealing the offerings right at the point of the cross? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's if we can see what's taking place here is is satanic in nature. Uh, very what much. these uh, sons were doing, they were attacking the very foundation of the gospel, which is the cross, to make themselves rich and fat. They were literally literally using the the gospel of the cross. Um, and corrupting wow. the very meaning of it. Think about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And remember, everything that we read in Scripture is, is prophetic in nature. The same thing is going on today. Uh, what oh, we yeah. know as the, gra- the grace message, right, which is the, really speaking of the finished work of Christ, right, um, and, and also the message of the cross. You can go all down the list where uh, the cross is, is being heralded and, and so forth and so on. Um, but but the intention of of them proclaiming these messages behind it, um, they are really using it. it it's a it's an, a means to an end, right? Yes. And they're they're attacking the very foundation of the gospel to gain something out of it. And what it what it has caused in many people is is they have given and given to these ministries who have a false message of the cross. And they have begun to abhor the very thing, the most precious of things, the foundation of the gospel, the offerings. They be, they, they be, the Bible says they begin to abhor. They begin to, to, to hate the very act of, 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 of offering these things because of what uh, uh, the, the ministry of Eli Hoffman and Phineas were doing with the very offering. Think about yes. this now. Yes. This is how low. Uh, this, the fallen church has come. They are using the very sacrifice of Jesus Christ to grow their ministries, to to get richer. They're literally u- using this mess- these messages of the so-called cross to get richer and steal from the people. And in doing that, the people are beginning to abhor. Think about that. Indirectly, they don't know what they—they they really just don't like what's taking place with the with these fallen ministries. But in doing right. that, they—they're—they're they're abhorring the very thing that Jesus uh, uh, came to do. That's right. And so, that's why you see you see the condition of the church today. Uh, now, uh, I'll also bring this out too that it, it's prophetic of what's happening today. All right, and and we have to open our eyes that what these false ministers are doing doesn't mean that that God is behind it. Right. God is doing something separate today, and that's where the, the ministry of Samuel comes in, because he's going to call out this kind of ministry. 
Yes. And, and brother, yes. what you're saying there, that's why verse 18, can you read verse 18, brother Jeremy? As, yes. As, as brother Fernando mm-hmm. described that so well, uh, God throws in verse 18 just to remind the reader he's not ignorant to what's going on. What does he say in verse but 18? Samuel ministered before the Lord being a child girded with a linen Yes, he was dressed as a priest. He, he's in his infancy. He's a child. He's not a baby anymore, uh, but he's maybe seven, eight years old right here. And so while all this corruption is taking place, God is growing an entirely different ministry, which he's going to right. separate eventually from this system uh, portrayed in Eli, Hophni, and Phineas at Shiloh. That is what has happened yes. already. It's already happened uh, because to me, uh, the whole Hophni Phineas thing, um, the roots of it are well <laughs> are are still flowing in, in today in our time, but but the parallel of it I see in what transpired in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s with the big Pentecostal charismatic ministries that were exposed for what they really were, and God took His blessing off of them. They were exposed, and their ministries collapsed. The same thing happened way back when in the time of Samuel. But remember, Samuel was born under that system. And 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 right. a new prophetic voice had to come forth. And we're going to see something. First we pointed out how we were just talking about how they were like brother Fernando said, they were taking the offerings at the point of the cross. They were using the brazen altar, the offerings which are a type of the gospel of uh, of the crucifixion of Christ and using that as a point of of enriching themselves that is the ministry of hophni right he that's the ministry of hophni because it's uh, and at the bottom of verse 16 it says if you don't give me what i want we'll take it by force one way or another we'll be even more aggressive to come after your offerings right and and so that's that's hophni's ministry right but look at look at you can say something yeah, Brother Marty, I just wanted to, to, to bring about, a, point something out there, too, that what we're talking about. Samuel's ministry came out of necessity. And to go much, and, and we're not going to get into it, but just, just to get a, a clear understanding, it really came out of a cry from a woman, right, his mother, Hannah, yes. right? Yes. And, and while the Phineas Hopney situation is, is up front for everybody to see, uh, there's an undercurrent battle going on between two wounds, between Penina and Hannah that we don't really quite see, but there's really a fight. Uh, I believe Penina represents the Laodicean church. That's, she's, just, she's just the factory machine of babies. She just produces babies and laughing and mocking and being aggressive towards Hannah, who to me represents the Philadelphia church, right? <laughs> you know, suffering, you know, she's in disdain, she, she's an anxious, she's saying, God, give me a child, not even for me, because she saw the condition of the the leadership of that time. And I know we're not going to go much into this, but I just wanted to point the undercurrent, the undercurrent uh, battle going on, you know, um, in the midst of all of this. No, you know, and that's, a woman that's really good. Out. No, and and that's good because I mean, we could just take a little side note there because, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it is a lot like that. Because remember, again, we're talking about the parallels of the time of Samuel and our day. 
I mean, early on, that's why I mentioned 1906, you know, the birth of the Pentecostal and charismatic movements across the United States, which became, which became in its infancy, the, the most, uh, the, the ones that sent out the most missionaries and, and workers and the preaching of the gospel all over the world. It started mm -hmm. out right, you know, but then after time, it corrupted itself and kind of morphed into this Eli Hoffney and Phineas system. And it's interesting when you mentioned Penina, because you're right, she was full of children. But what's interesting is that none of her children qualified to be the prophetic generation that would pronounce the wow. judgment on the house of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. There was a there was a remnant, right, a Hannah remnant that yes. that, that wit, was witnessing these things. At first, she wanted simply to produce because of the pressure she felt from the successful Penina, right, the one with all the kids. Right. But but right. she wasn't as producing like her. But she came to a point in her life where where her desire to give birth to children, like she would tell her husband, give me children lest I die, right? Her desire to, right. to, to give birth to children uh, was transcended by a much larger vision that God would give her. And when you get into what happened after Samuel was born, because the Bible says she took him home and, 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 and she weaned him, right? She, she, she raised him. But she, I think it's chapter two, the first 14 verses, Hannah begins to sing this song, right? Hannah prayed mm -hmm. and she begins to sing yeah. this song. In that 14 verses, I think it is, is it 14 verses? Let me take a look here, uh, somewhere in there. No, it's actually... Uh, 10. 10, right? 10, 10 verses, is it? Yeah. yeah. In those 10 verses from chapter two to uh, verse one to chapter to verse 10, the song of Hannah, she is prophesying uh, not only the coming of the Lord, but his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his return. And so her prophetic nature was in, in, incredible. But all of that had to be developed in her so that when she actually cried out to God for a son, it was, it was to transcend her own desire to produce children and bring about a move of God that would bring down this corruption and 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 in her prophecy, when you read chapter two, verse one through ten, she actually prophesied the coming of the Lord and understood that in her intercession she was furthering along her generation uh, and and moving them and pushing them toward the ultimate coming of the Messiah, which is incredible. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a really good point. So we see. The first manifestation of Hafni, which is the pugilist, the they take everything by force, full of full of greed, you know, I want the offering and I'll take it by force. And then in verse 22, uh, we see the testimony of Eli um, in chapter 2, verse 22, Jeremiah, uh, con concerning the Phineas part of the ministry, which is what? Can you read that in verse 22, chapter 2, verse 22? Here we go. Okay. It says, uh, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the woman that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So in other words, not only are men abhorring the, the offering, they created a climate within the culture where they just looked at the church and said, those guys are just a bunch of greedy prosperity preachers, man. You know, I don't want anything to do with <laughs> yeah. those people. And then secondly, they remove the sanctity, the holiness, and what should be a, a, a projection of, of godliness to the culture around it. 
and they became those instead uh they they portrayed a a, a fully corrupted sensual greedy and and an adulterous idolatrous ministry it says that they were actually taking the women who would gather at the church and sleeping with them and 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 right. and, and engaging in, in in idolatry and fornication these women if you want to talk on a really metaphoric basis they represent to me many of the churches that have been corrupted by these sorts of ministry they're full of sensuality full of idolatry they're they're full of adultery which is really idolatry and and they're corrupted we see that reflected in our time what we see is a is a completely sensualized uh hyper charismatic church you have you you no longer see the modest holy reflection of the lord you no longer see the Sarahs, you know, that the Bible talks about when first Peter said, you know, be like Sarah, who 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 had who was a blessed and and, and chaste and reflective uh a beautiful bride of Abraham. Uh, her her beauty was the inner man of the heart. She wasn't all given to plating her hair and 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 and, and walking around in the latest fashions of the day. And I'm not I'm not preaching a clothesline religion here, but what I am saying it's the attitude of the heart. And, and these guys had so corrupted the whole situation that that even the women and them uh, behind the scenes were were engaging in in adulterous practices. This is a thoroughly corrupt ministry, and in essence, that's exactly what happened at, in the late '80s. What was really exposed in the late 1980s in the United States in those big mega charismatic and Pentecostal churches was behind the scenes there was sexual impurity running rampant. And even today, it's worse, but we'll get into that maybe later. But look at 1 Samuel 2.27. So after all this, God always reaches a point. And what he does is he sends a prophet to Eli. Can you read that in verse 27, brother? Because the prophet yes. tells him something. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear into the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Read verse 29. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people? And now verse 34. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Thou shalt come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, and in one day they shall die, both of them. In one day they shall die, both of them. So the Lord sends this prophet to Eli, like you read in verse 27, and, and, and to me it is like it, like it happened in our times. I know you guys were just little kids, but I was actually there in one of the major ministries when, when, when the when the ministry had to get up and admit that he had been living a double life and it brought down such a destruction you had the first one was was the old jim bake jim and tammy baker ministry which was huge back then yeah. uh, and he was exposed for for having you know a, you know indecent in things going on in his life at the time and and, and they got brought down and then uh, after that the world's most famous evangelist had to I was exposed for what was going on in his life. It was a tragic time, but it can't, it, it, right. it, it, it was almost as if it happened in one day <laughs> and this will be a yeah. sign to you. Right. 
So it happened in our times. We saw both the greed and the lust and, and the sullied reputation of the ministry in the 80s. And, and even up till now, the Lord sent his prophets back then, just like he did in the days of Samuel. Samuel's still growing, right? But he sends a, an older prophet at that time. And that reminded me of the, mm-hmm. how the Lord had sent prophets during the, the late 60s, 70s, 80s, right? He, uh, like Brother Havner, Brother A.W. Tozer, Brother Ravenhill, Brother Wilkerson. And, yes. and, and he yeah. sent them to the modern-day ministries, and they refused to repent. Brother Ravenhill wrote that fabulous book, right, Why Revival Tarries. And all they did was yes. make fun of him. Brother Wilkerson talked about the necessity to repent because of the excesses that were emerging in a very powerful church like Eli that had ascended and lifted itself up. And what was actually being produced was a lust and a greed for the offering and a compromised sexuality behind the scenes. The same thing happened. And God sent these fully grown men to, to, to warn these men. I know because I know some things and I, and, and I know these people, some of these people behind the scenes and, and what actually happened and how these prophets came to these men and came to them and warned them. And, and, and we're not just talking about tiny little ministries here. These two ministries uh, at that time affected the entire planet. I mean, it shook the right. entire planet when this came down and when it was exposed. And, 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 and the prophet told, told Eli, he says, you honor your sons above me, and you're stealing from the people of God. You are, you will, you're honoring your sons is, is kind of what happened back then. They honored the, the lust for, for, for offerings, and they honored the secrecy of sexual impurity more than they honored the Lord's direction in their life, which, he, which was given to them by the prophets in the 1980s, just like it was given, parallel speaking, to Eli from a man of God that came. And then he no, told them. And not just that, that, Brother Marty, Brother Marty yeah. uh, these, these two ministries um, in the 80s set the template uh, of how to conduct big time ministry that in the pattern that today's preachers follow, follow students. Yeah, right. Uh, no, and, you're right. And that's why, and, and and it's a continuous pattern of the same sin that people just brush off. The people, they know that the preachers are getting cotton scandals. They know that they're stealing money. They know that they're getting rich off the people's offerings. They know yeah. that there's sexual immorality behind closed doors. There's homosexuality behind closed doors. I'm talking about some of the biggest preachers uh, on on Christian television today. You're right. It is happening, and and the people have turned because you know the, the saying, uh, "Don't don't touch God's anointed," but it, it's it's the same thing that happened in Samuel's day that is taking place today. The same yeah. thing. Nothing has changed. And 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 that's that and it's worse, right? I mean, and we're yes. it's 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 worse because it's not just a couple guys. It's like it's like a majority of these these boys and, and their and their congregations have actually absolutely given themselves over to the zeitgeist, right? The spirit of the age. And so this brings right. us now to Samuel. We we tried stumbling today to try and paint this picture of how Samuel emerged. It was under this climate. And we've seen the same thing, because really what I'm laying forth is during that time that we were talking about of the 80s and the the 90s, when those ministries came down, there was a a whole host of people that came up under those ministries. And and they were, some were born at that time. Some were just young men at that time. 
but they were part of that system. And yet they were grieved in their hearts for what they saw. When they looked to the leadership, they saw corruption, they saw excess, they saw impurity, and 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 yet God was causing them to grow up in it in order to become uh, a a powerful tool in the hand of the Lord to 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 accurately call it out. And now we come to chapter three, and we're going to hurry here because now we've come to the point after the man of God goes and proclaims this judgment upon the house of Eli, we see something said, the time of Samuel has come. And, 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 and we're going to see something. Read verse one real quick, brother Jeremy, would you? And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So we have two qualities here revealed to us. Now it's time. Now God is going to turn his attention and raise up this young man to be a prophetic voice. He says there were two things, including all the things we've just been talking about. He says the word of the Lord was precious, as it is today. The word of the Lord is incredibly precious. I don't know how people survive on the on the fluff and the tap dance uh, yeah. sermonizing that's that's that uh, uh, you know messages that 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 uh that masquerade as the gospel today there is a, there is a there is no uh open uh flow of the word of god as we once had it and and it happened in their day as well there was no word of the lord it was precious and also it says there was no open vision he didn't say there was no vision at all it just means that it wasn't in the public square God always has his prophets. He always has his prophets. And that's why we saw in verse 27, what Brother Jeremy wrote, that, that God sent a man of God, a prophet of God. He's unnamed, uh, but he comes and prophesies to him. So when it says there's no open vision, it wasn't that there wasn't any vision. It's just that it was not in the public arena, but God was getting ready to change that. And and now Samuel begins to get his call. And, and in in verse 2 and 3, what we see there. Can you read verse 2 and 3 real quick? And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. In error, the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Verse 4. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. All right. And he so what do we see here? What do we see here is is that what what God draws our attention to, Samuel's now being called a specific time. And what I'm telling you is over the last 20 years, 25 years, a call went out. And 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 we're going to see this really interesting because Samuel is transitioning now into his place and and it, in many ways it parallels our time. And I think it it might even encourage some of you that are listening out there that that's what you've been sensing. That's what you've been feeling all this time. But now look at look at how he was called. What draw our attention to verse two, brother Jeremy, where it says that Eli lays down in his place, and it says of him that his eyes began to wax dim. He could not see. It's a reflection of a leadership that no longer has vision or prophetic right. insight in the things of God. Number one, and then number uh, two, it says. It's at a time, uh, ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the presence of God is. And Samuel 
was resting or laid down to sleep. It was at that time that the Lord called him. It's very interesting because note this, when Samuel receives his call from the Lord, it's at nighttime. Yes. And it, and it's and it's just before the dawn. It's that it's that moment between night, somewhere between three o'clock, quite conceivably midnight and six or three o'clock and six in the morning. That's what it means when it says, ear the lamp of God went out. It, it means that because at six o'clock in the evening, they used to light the lamps. And just before the lamp of God goes out, it's usually just before the sun comes up somewhere in there. So it's what we're being told is the lamp hasn't gone out yet, but it's close to going out. And it's in the middle of the night. It's very symbolic when he receives his call because God raises him up just before the lamp goes out, just before the light is completely extinguished, just before symbolically there really doesn't seem to be any hope. And and what's really interesting in verse 4 is the Lord calls Samuel and he says what? He says, here am I. And what's interesting about that is that he can hear the voice of the Lord but up until now, he's been serving the Lord in a certain capacity, right? He's been helping Eli. He's been working in the system. But now he's being called to the office of a prophet. Now God is transitioning what he has always known and beginning to pour out his, his, uh, his anointing on him. And he's begun the process of revealing himself to Samuel in a way that he hasn't had him revealed to him before. In verse 7, it says, uh, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Can you read verse 7, Brother Jeremy? Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Not yet. And what it means is that he didn't know the Lord in the prophetic as he was going to be. He didn't have that kind of, of understanding. But notice verse 4, which you read, he's capable of hearing God. But he's about to transition into a position where he will now know God and his word is specifically going to be revealed to him. And 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 so hmm. Samuel runs in verse 8, right, to Eli. And this happened three times. Read verse 8, Brother Jeremy. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. So there's there's something very cool here that happens, and it's very symbolic again. What we see happening is a transition from just being within the house as kind of like the ministry of the help, you know, uh, and, and, and helping Eli. You know, he's he's been a faithful servant to help Eli. He's been under that whole system. But the system's corrupt, and God has pronounced judgment already upon it. And now the time has come. And and. And it's very symbolic because it's in the dark. It's almost like last days kind of stuff, right? And 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 Samuel's the kind of servant that can hear the voice of the Lord, only he hasn't known the Lord in this way before. But now that's all about to change. And God uh, sends uh, Samuel to Eli the third time, and 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 he tells him, "I'm here, Mr. Eli." <laughs> you know, and he says, "You called me." And Eli basically says, "I didn't call you." Uh, the Lord is calling you, right? That's what he goes on to tell it. What's interesting is is Samuel's call, therefore, brothers, and what that represents it, it is not a call that came from the system. Ah, my goodness. Hallelujah. Right. <laughs> hey, you know what's Hallelujah. interesting, Brother Marty? 
Yeah, that, go ahead. Uh, it's powerful what was being said here. Um, you know, as Samuel is developing the, the prophetic skill uh, to understand that, uh, when God is speaking, uh, it says that Eli perceived that it was yeah. God speaking to him, which says a whole lot. Um, right. The fact that he was able to perceive that God was trying to speak to Samuel um, showed that perhaps he had once had the ability. There you uh, go. The prophetic ability to to yeah. hear from God, but had lost it. Yes. And but he was still able to perceive, and I think that that that's kind of the same situation with uh, a lot of preachers today that were used mighty by God before some of them succumbed to, you know, uh, to pride, to 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 greed, to uh, Im sexual immorality. That they were once used mighty by God to touch the nations of the world, but now all they can really do is perceive when they hear uh, the true prophetic word of God from somebody else. And many times yeah. when that happens, uh, you know, you see you, you see these now fallen preachers when they hear the prophetic voice of God uh, through another person, they'll try to take maybe it's a young minister or whatever, and they'll try to uh, get that prophetic voice in their programs. And and and, uh. and you know try to try to make yeah. money out of it because they sense the prophetic voice of God in those people, right? But but yeah. that is, it's quite interesting what the Bible is saying that he perceived it. Uh, yeah. And but really yet did. but yet even though even though he was perceiving God was speaking to Samuel he refused to change, which is quite interesting, right? Uh, right. And, and he knew that God was beginning out. to speak, but he wouldn't change. Right, and what else happens? He he goes back to sleep. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's, and, and yeah, it's yeah like, that, that's powerful, man. That, that, and, and that's what's I been think, happening, you know? God's been speaking, yeah. they wake up, they go back to sleep. They wake up, they go back to sleep. Even when God comes and, 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 and speaks and, and reveals to them, because that's really what you're saying, is that Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. He lives, he's actually living to see the rise of a ministry that's going to replace him, you know, <laughs> incredible. It's, but, you know, I, it is. I can relate. Ahead, I, I can relate in so many aspects. I'm not a Samuel, but I can relate in, in, in of his experiences. I, I grew up in a particular denomination. Um, yeah. I, I participated in every aspect from youth pastor, worship leader. I mean, I was being groomed to, to, to be honest with you, to go yeah. to far places. But, you know, I've always loved God with all my heart, but it took years to understand the reality of the system from being in, in ministerials with ministers, big, talking with big shots, and, and little by little understanding that my place was not there. And it took men from within that system that were used, that were men of God, to speak into my life to get out, you know, while they stayed yeah. there. You know, and, and but but I see it. I, you know, I can see it in in my life that I mean, it was a process to come out of this 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 system. That's all I knew. Yes. That's all. That's all I knew all my life. I knew that I loved God. I know that I was called. But but I thank God that the Lord, yes, He spoke to me too and called me out. And I'm glad that I was able to uh, uh, heed to that voice, that prophetic voice, telling me, "Come out." He's calling me. So. There's a lot of things. I just wanted to share that, you know, that's, that's been part no, of my brother, life. That's, that's all I've known. Yeah, that's really powerful because, um, 
I can relate to to uh, to absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> because but when I hear it from you, I know I know your backstory, man, and 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 uh, I know you came up under the system and you were faithful in that system, and and, and that is a, 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 in measure what I'm saying. There's a bunch of people out there, men, brothers, sisters like in the me. Lord. Yeah, yes. yeah, like you. And 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 also like like uh, you know knuckleheads like me and Fernando right we came off the street and and uh, and and we were pushed we were born again underneath the system right we were born into that system but all of us together seriously and those of the discontented and 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 all we knew was a system right see but what right. what they didn't realize was that that system which we're talking about right now was about to be destroyed. It was just a few short years away from this time when the ark would be taken and Shiloh would be destroyed. And and so comprehensive was that destruction that years later, just before Jerusalem was destroyed, Jeremiah would reference it, right? When he would yeah. say, yes. he would say, you guys think you're so you know awesome that God would never touch your nation. He goes, go back and, and look at, 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 uh, at Shiloh what God did to Shiloh because of what happened to it and what it became. And that's what I'm saying. And we're saying right now, go back and look at the eighties and the nineties in America and see what God did to those ministries then. And, and don't think he ain't going to do that to you right now when we get to the house of Saul tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. So brother, I, I, I completely, uh, I felt that when you were talking about that, because yes, when God was uh, bringing this word to us, I, I really did think about you. I mean, I thought, man, this sounds like Jeremy, right? I mean, <laughs> I can grow up, you know, yeah. little ephod and all that stuff, right? So uh, <laughs> I could just see you, man. But but it's all part of that, right? So now the transition yeah. takes place, and and Eli witnesses the prophetic voice that is going to to take his place, and it was always in his house. It's mm. oh man, I, I don't even uh, start. Hallelujah! It. I felt that right. Amen. Hallelujah. It was yeah. always there, but he found no value in it. And even yeah. by the time that, that he realized that God had placed that on the child, uh, he was too old, couldn't see, goes back to sleep, and 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 then he has to he has to turn to Samuel in the morning and ask him what did God say? And it's very symbolic. So we come to verse ten, right? Because the transition now takes place. And it, it read verse ten to us, would you, Brother Jeremy? Uh, uh, chapter three, right, brother? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it says, and the Lord came and stood and called as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant heareth. Praise God. So look at the transition here. Up until this point, all we're told is that the Lord calls Samuel, right? And, 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 and Samuel hears him. But now, uh, God, after after Eli finally tells him, it's the Lord. It's almost as Eli had to acknowledge, right? God is talking yes. to you, right? Yes. And once Eli acknowledges that God is talking to him, the whole thing switches, and God isn't just calling now. Look at what He does in verse ten. The Lord, the Lord came, number one. The Lord stood, number two, and the Lord calls. Three different manifestations now take place once Eli acknowledged God is speaking through you. 
It's as if the transition at that moment took place. Uh, It would be a a while after that before everything would come down, but he had to admit and call Samuel a prophet. Now listen. The Lord came uh, to Samuel. That word came in the Hebrew uh, literally means uh, to abide. So it was literally saying the time of Eli and his sons is over. The authority is over. God came to Samuel as soon as he, as soon as the high priest acknowledged that this is a different generation, this is a different move, and I've got to acknowledge God's talking to you. Uh, as soon as that was said, uh, God now uh, records in His Word three distinct ways that He now manifests to Samuel. It's not just a voice anymore. He comes, and and that word "come" means to abide. It's as if it was saying, "I'm coming now into your life in such a different and unique way, and I'm not going to let, I'm not going to leave you." I'm staying with you now. And then he says, the Lord stood. The Lord came, the Lord stood. That word stood in the Hebrew means uh, to, 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 to reside and, and to stay in a particular place and to present himself. That's literally what it means. Is he came to say, I'm going to stay with you, abide with you, and I'm going to, to present myself to you. He was receiving his calling of the prophet. And, and and it is now, in effect, what God was saying by standing there is that God was now going to be Samuel's teacher. What and, um, and he's going to teach him what Eli and his system could never teach Samuel. This is directly from God. It's a generation that hears the voice that has God abiding with them and God instructing them. And now it says, so he came, he stood, and he called. And, and and this is different. Samuel's now different. He's changed, you know, because yes. of, of the Lord who came and stood, uh, and came, stood, and called to Samuel. And Samuel does what, what we have to do now in this generation. And this takes great courage because how, how did Samuel respond when, after those three manifestations we were talking about? He came, he stood, and he called. Samuel says, speak for thy servant heareth. And, yes. and so... He, he says to the Lord first, speak. That's that Hebrew word, dabar. It's very powerful what Samuel said. He's not just saying, uh, you know, say something. He's, in the Hebrew, right. what he's saying to the Lord is, command me. Give me Hallelujah. a command. Declare it to me. Converse Hallelujah. with me. Hallelujah. Holy God. Glory Holy God. to God. Hallelujah. Amen. He, says, he, says, Hallelujah. he says, speak. Command me, Lord. I'm no longer going to be under this Eli dude, right? I want you to command me. I want you to speak to me. I want you to converse with me. I want you to declare with me. That's what he's saying. And he says, thy servant. He he tells God who he is to him now. That word servant is the Hebrew word, ibed, which means I'm your bondman. I'm your worker. And it also means I'm your servant. I'm your prophet. That's what he was telling me. Hallelujah. 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 He says, command me, Lord. Declare to me, Lord. Converse with me, Lord. I'm your servant, not Eli's servant. I'm your servant. I will forever be attached to you. I will work for you. I am your servant. Make me a prophet. That's what he's telling him. And then he says, because your servant Hearest. That's the word shama. It means that just by being in the presence of the Lord, the word shama means 
to hear intelligently, pay attention to, and to 100% completely obey. That's incredible what that kid said to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know? yes. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. And as soon as he said that to God, verse 11 and 12 takes place. Now the Lord begins to talk to him, command him, and, and make him into a prophet. Would you, would, you, would you read verse 11 and 12, Jeremy? We're almost done. Uh, yes, if I can. <laughs> uh, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hear it, it shall tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. That's incredible. The first thing he says to Samuel, and it's it's weighty, you know, it's incredibly weighty. Uh, and, and remember, it took courage for Samuel to say, speak to me, Lord. I'm your servant. I'm listening to you, right? And, 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 and that's the first thing he told the Lord is, I want you to command me. I'm so tired of this Eli Hosni Phineas thing, man. Yes, yes. <laughs> Lord, Lord, help me. <laughs> Brothers, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of what we see. And we've got to be like that. We've got to be like yes. little Samuel was, man. We've got to be able yes. to say to God, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I want you to command me. I want you to declare to me. I want you to converse with me. I belong to you. I'm your worker. Use me for whatever you want. I will pay attention to what you say, and I will obey what you say. God can yeah. use someone like that, and that takes courage. And so, it you does. know, take heart. Let God in, let God use you that way, like he did yes. Samuel, because he wants to do that right now. And, and, and the Lord reveals a, a profound thing. And, and what he gave him, the very first message he thing he reveals to him is, what I'm about to do is going to shake the whole nation. <laughs> yes, yes. My Lord. My Lord. <laughs> That's what he yes. tells him. <laughs> he tells him, what I'm about to do, I'm going to shake the whole nation. To the point that it will cause my people's ears to tinkle, right? And then, and then he says, uh, because I'm going to. I'm going to perform what Eli already knows, that foreboding sense of what, what Eli knew was coming because God had already told him so many years before with that man of God that came to him. And I will bring an end to this thing. And, 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 and that's what he was revealing to Samuel. What shakes the nation, he said, will be that Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas are going to be destroyed and the glory will leave them. The glory will leave that whole ministry. And that's what happened in the 80s and 90s, man. The Lord appeared again. Would you read that, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 3, verse 19? Yes. Would you read that? It says, uh, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Want well, to talk about a successful ministry, right? <laughs> Yeah. Not one of his words fell to the ground. And then it says in verse uh, 21, what did it say, brother? And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. This is going to be a word-centered ministry. This is a word-centered yes. ministry. It ain't about signs and wonders and gold dust and leaves and... Feathers falling. Yes. This is a word-centered ministry, 
there was a man sent from God, right? He had a word from yeah. God. His name was John the Baptist, right? There was Elijah came prophesying the word of God. And and, yeah. and so we saw and Samuel would see the destruction of the house of Eli. Just as many in this generation saw the destruction of of the compromised big time ministry in the eighties and nineties. And and, right. and how what do we conclude with this? Samuel's still here and he's witnessing something else. It's the rise of the King Saul ministry, and it yeah. too is about to come down. Samuel would witness the glory depart from one ministry. The ark was taken, and the nation would begin to wander for some 20 years. There would be a little measure of repentance that would occur, and Samuel would reemerge. At a crucial time, he would reemerge, and, and then the people would want a king. The house of Saul would be the result. But the emergence of the house of Saul would eventually give way, hallelujah, to the rise of the true king, King David, who is a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and if the Lord will allow us tomorrow, we're going to, Lord willing, explore the parallels between the house of Saul and our time now. And, and, And remember, we began today's study with the Lord's command to the king, go smite Amalek. He would fail. Yes. And his failure to do so would seal his fate. And so it is now. There's a modern-day Saul leadership and its congregations. They have failed to smite Amalek. And we'll talk about what that means tomorrow. And and the kingdom is about to be torn from them and given to the one who is the true king and to his servants. Because the Lord is soon to appear. And my prayer is the Lord would come quickly. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Go ahead, brothers. You can finish it for me. <laughs> yes, this is a uh, powerful. I've been sensing this presence. I can, you know, just speaking, you know, thinking about over my life and the things that God has brought me from. I'm, I'm so grateful, you know. And you know, I want to just give a, a word of warning to the people because. You know, a lot of these ministries, 70s, 80s, 90s, that have failed, have reemerged again. And it yeah. just seems like they ha- they have not learned their lesson. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now they just come packaged with a different message. But it's all the same. They make merchandise. They make their message a product. They write books. They write songs. They write, you know, everything. And it's like they have not learned. They've reemerged. They have not learned. And so I, I just sense, you know, whether even if it's just one person, but I know God is dealing with hearts because you might find yourself trapped in a system that the Spirit of God is bringing conviction to your life of where you may find yourself today. But I want to tell you that if you respond to God and say, Lord, just as Samuel did, speak for thy servant hear it. That's all it takes. And God can move you from that system and use you to bring light unto others and use you to enlighten you and to show you the way. So, you know, we, we just want to let you know you're not alone. We're, we're in this process. But God is, is still a God that delivers. He's still a God that is speaking. And I want to be part of that prophetic voice. I want to be a part of that church of the word. Hallelujah. 
that speaks the word in this hour, that knows what to say in this hour, that knows what to declare in this hour. We pray that you have been blessed. I'm excited about what God is, is, is doing. And tomorrow, as we continue in our study, get ready. We'll be studying on the church that arises that represents Saul. So be with us. Share these podcasts with others. We pray that you have been blessed and keep looking up.